Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Well, hello and welcome back. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, you know I am sending greetings, happiness, and joy because you have taken a moment in which you are going to learn something that is gonna help you move from thinking to action. And what can you do to close the gap to get from where you are now to where you want to be? I am your hostess, Denise Cooper. And today I have a fabulous guest. And you know, I try to have fabulous guests all the time, but I'm so excited about this conversation. It's going to be about cohesive cultures. Too often, we have been spending our time talking about how do we create inclusion? How do we create cohesive cultures? How do we live our values in the business world? And so we talk a lot about it, but we're not always able to turn talk into action. Last year, we had a lot of companies coming out talking about how they were going to invest and they were going to improve their culture so that they could have a focus on diversity and inclusion. And well, it's 12 months later, and many of those companies are sitting there going, so what do we do? Where are we going? Last year, we had a lot of companies who realized that they had to pivot if they were going to survive. And they put in new processes, new products, new ways of being, or at least on paper they did. And now we're sitting at the end of the year, and many of the executives are saying, what did we do? In a recent article from Harvard Business Review, they noted that only about 35% of all the projects ever get to completion. And for a long time, we've been saying that strategy and the success of implementing a strategy only happens about a third at a time. The way we work has changed. The way we need to work needs to change. It really is about how do we build a cohesive culture. Well, today, my guest is Dr. Troy Hall. Dr. Troy has his doctorate in global leadership and entrepreneurship, excuse me, and has sent him across the globe to help leaders create cultures of cohesion and retain top talent in organizations. With more than 40 years of practical experience and a PhD in global leadership and entrepreneurship, Dr. Troy's passion is helping others succeed. His consulting and executive coaching sessions have positively impacted organizational leaders around the globe on how to create cultures of cohesion to retain their top talent. Currently, he serves as the chief strategy officer for South Carolina Federal Credit Union and the lead consultant for SCF, South Carolina Federal Solutions, LLC. He is distinguished as an international development educator and a recipient of the South Carolina State House Resolution on his Global Leadership Exchange Program. Folks, this is a guy who not only read the book about it, but he's out here practicing it. This is a guy who's not only studied the topic of leadership, but prior to his current position, he was a leader in the banking industry. So with that, hello, Dr. Troy. 
Well, hello, Denise, and let me tell you, could I be any more excited about all the love and joy that you started spreading right from the very beginning? Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I hope this uplifts folks. You know, it's a happy Thursday, and Thursday is the day I, you know, people talk about Wednesday as hump day. I think of Thursday as your acceleration day, because you need to focus and get right so that you can end the week strong. Right. And I agree with that. And what was this whole nonsense about throwback Thursday? I mean, (laughs) who wants to do that? I want to throw forward. There you go. (laughs) I don't want to throw back to Thursday. I want to I want to go to Friday and Saturday. You know, I get closer to the weekend. I don't want to stay further away from it. There you go. There you go. I agree. I love that. I love that. I love that. So you and I have had an opportunity to talk. And, you know, so from that, I know you a little bit, but, you know, this is a podcast, so we kind of need to bring our guests in, our listeners in, so that they can understand a little bit about yourself. So I'm not going to ask you the typical, tell me about what your story is, because people can buy your book, books, I must say, right? And the current one is on cohesive culture, proven principles to retain your top talent, that's your current book. So tell us something that distinguishes you as a leadership coach? Wow. Well, I think that uh, for me, I bring a lot of practical background to leadership. You know, um, I was a leader of a four-generation family at one time when my parents lived with us before they passed away. And let me tell you, there's a lot of opportunity for leadership to come when you've got four generations all living under the same roof. Oh, my. There's a little bit of background, but I married my high school sweetheart in 1977. We have two children. We have six grandchildren. Certainly, there is a lot of leadership that happens in your everyday life that you should not be missing those opportunities for that. But I think for the most part, for me, I just had, uh, I've just been very privileged and very blessed. I visited 45 states, over 60 countries, and six continents. And really getting that opportunity to see how people interact in a variety of areas and a variety of what they do. I know we started off talking about cohesion culture, but I want to make sure that all of our listeners understand that cohesion culture is a safe workspace where people have a sense of belonging, value, and shared mutual commitment. And so my conversations with folks, anytime I get a chance to help them succeed in their business is to is to create and guide uh, opportunities for them to thrive and sustain and build this type of environment. And uh, there's lots of really good reasons why that that come out through the research, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, maybe, maybe not, because, you know, I like the personal side of this thing. And you're right, there is a lot of research that we just don't apply and figure out ways to implement the research. It's one thing to know, it's another thing to do. And leaders really have to be about the doing. Exactly. I mean, for instance, when employees really look to the leadership, uh, they really want to see that the chasm between leader say and leader do is your two hands pressed together. They don't want to see a big difference between a leader says this and a leader does that. And a little bit of that is what you were prefacing the podcast with individuals of group specifically around diversity, equity and inclusion. And you can talk a mean talk, but can you actually perform and do what it is that you say you do. And when you put that out there, as a leader, you should be held accountable for the fact that if you said you're going to do it, then you should actually do it. And you should be measuring for the results that you expected uh, based on what it is that you say you want to do. Yeah. And I think, you know, from my experience, and tell me if I'm if yours is different, what I find is, is that this whole idea, you know, we, we, I like to say that leaders have four jobs, four things they have to do well. 
One is they have to say where are we headed, the vision, and what does it look like when we get there? Not where are we headed, but when we get there, how will we know we're there? Brene Brown talk, calls it, what does done look like, right? Yes. The second thing is, is that you got to manage resources, time, money, and people. That's it. And in people, it's about building the capacity so that they can do better every day and feel like they're winning. So this thing of feeling like they win. The third thing is, is that you got to be able to follow up. And then the last thing is you got to be to do is ensure follow through. And that's and it and that is the actual implementation. So if you think about the first two is strategy orientation and planning and all of that, the last two is about doing. In your experience, what I find is, or at least in my experience, I find that we're not very good at saying what done looks like, but also we have a hard time with this follow up and follow through this actual implementation and the numbers kind of bear that out. What are you seeing in your global travels and talking to leaders? If you Are you seeing the same thing? And what do you attribute that to? You know, there's been a lot of books written in the past regarding execution. It's one of the identified areas that leaders seem to still have a little bit of a problem with is that execution piece. It's really no different uh, depending upon the organizations uh, that we that you can do the research and follow up information on. Has it changed much? No, it really hasn't changed much. But I don't like to try to focus too much on those that aren't doing it. I want to focus on those that are doing it. And why would they be doing it? So Realistically, the way that it would work is that organizations that are successful in the execution aspect is that they have aligned the individuals in their organization around their cultural values. And those cultural values reflect what that organization is like and what the people who are in that organization should be working on. Organizations that are successful in creating great cultures and executions of plans have really focused on their employee base and understand that their employee is their greatest resource. And not only that, but they give them time, effort, and attention. Organizations that are successful, they actually have focused on many things that could be helpful. But really, I'm just going to break it down very simply uh, to say this. They, first of all, uh, create a culture where everyone agrees inside the organization from the CEO to the entry level person that they are teachable. If mm. individuals are not teachable, then there's a roadblock all the time. If somebody feels like I've already got it handled, then it doesn't work. Then they have to agree that they are a leader, whether they are an implied leader or an explicit leader. They have to actually agree. I am a leader. I'm going to to do actions. I'm going to do things that's going to move something forward and we're going to work toward that. And then lastly, it's so important for everyone in the organization to view what they're doing through the lens of a CEO. When they do that, and again, as you mentioned before, when you paint done, as Brene Brown would say, then you are building toward that vision of where you expect individuals to be. So that's the process of, of, of individuals actually being successful in execution because they've set the mindset that this is going to happen. And it's fairly simple. It's also providing the direction to individuals that they have the autonomy to do it. Here are the resources that you need to have it. Let's face it, in leadership, our primary job is very simple. It's to motivate, influence, and enable others to achieve a success. And when we motivate, we are stimulating. And where? Toward that future of where we see things being. And that really allows individuals to start to express their own creativeness and being able to take it from where they are to where you want them to be 
And yes, I now know where that place is because I've described it. I've shared that vision. I've inspired. I've aspired to the vision. I have taught people how to get to the vision. And that's so very, very important in that, you know, in that whole process of, of getting you there. So I, I think that for me, that what I see is that organizations that get it right, they have a way to mobilize their entire team. They've stimulated people in the right direction. They have influenced, which is molded the thinking of the individual. Don't leave it to chance that people are going to figure out where they need to go and how to get there. You can give them autonomy and, and give them resources to do it, but you have to to, to make sure that the, the plan is clear. And then the last enabling is, it is providing resources and removing obstacles. I mean, key drivers of retention today is when individuals have autonomy in the work that they're doing. Mm -hmm. There's an entrepreneurial spirit that's actually present in today's workforce where individuals want to actually be in charge. They want to do things. That's why viewing from the lens of a CEO is so helpful because they're already in that direction. They're already, their mind is already geared there. So we just need to prompt them and continue to move them in that direction. Well, so, so I want to unpack some of that, but I also want to bridge it to kind of what's happening today, right? So one of the things you mentioned, and I noticed it's one of the, one of your favorite quotes is you don't have to know everything. You just need to be teachable. That's great. So tweet that out, guys. Dr. Troy, you don't have to know everything. You just have to be teachable. So I want to understand that so, because sometimes we run across people who who talk like they want to be taught and yet they don't take anybody's advice. Right. How do you know somebody is actually teachable versus sometimes other individuals have to talk it out or they have to go roll with the idea a little bit before they can begin to see how it goes from theory to action. How do you know the difference? How do you know somebody is actually teachable? Well, to some degree, like in anything, you know, you, unless you're inside the individual person, you don't know for sure. But what are some outwardly things that you might be able to say or would be my cues, right? Here are my, here are the things that might give me an idea. Well, first of all, um, when if a leader is um, asking questions of other people around them. So do they have trusted voices? Do they have a council of individuals who will advise them and, and not tell them what they want to hear, but to tell them what they need to hear? So in the book, Cohesion Culture, one of the uh, distinctions I make is the difference between having people around you that are a sounding board versus a, versus a grounding board. And what you want are grounding boards. You want people who will help you make sure that you've got facts and data that are going to support and substantiate your opinions and your views, as opposed to a sounding board, which might be individuals just simply repeating what it is that you've said because they think that that's what you want to hear. So it is very important. So if you've got that or if individuals have that, that's great. Um, also, you can tell from the, uh, the way the individual expresses their ideas. Uh, an effective leader in a group that wants to get the feedback from others, when they talk about an idea, they'll simply explain the situation and tell individuals what we're trying to accomplish. And then they stop and they ask the room, what do you think? What would you like to do? They don't give their idea and opinion first and then ex expect everyone in the room to speak to it or speak around it or speak about it or to tear it down. That's not a very healthy or constructive way to have that conversation, because once the leader has put that information out, then what happens is that leader has applied something that I refer to as institutional power, because I have now said it, I'm the leader. And 
I no longer get an opportunity just to influence through personal power. I have established a baseline of that conversation. So that is one thing, asking open-ended, non-leading questions. If the leader is able to do that, then you know the leader is teachable. Another area that I would also talk about, because I think it's important to bring in cultural information specifically around the area of diversity, equity, and inclusion, is can you tell if the, through the leader's comments if they are representative of a cultural superiority mindset or cultural relativity? Whoa, the- whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down there. Slow down there. Up until now, you've kind of been giving a couple indicators under this idea of, of um you know, whether you're teachable that I want to kind of pull back, but this idea of cultural superiority versus what? Cultural relativity. Ooh. And it really, yeah. So this is, and it's, it's really through the actions of the leader. So when a leader is culturally superior, they're creating what's called ethnocentric thinking, and it's really destructive. So this is when the leader believes that their culture, their values, how they see things and how they judge the world is exactly the way it should be. So they're very hard and pressed on their uh, biases. Uh, We all have biases. We all have them. In research, we refer to it as reflexivity. So we actually declare our biases so that when the individual readers are looking at our research, they kind of see the eyes. They see the understand a little background of what's doing it. We don't always get that opportunity when we're working with an individual face to face. So when, when when a leader or an individual has this cultural superiority, then that's and it comes across in their opinions and how they say when they're culturally relative, which is the direction that I lead individuals through for a good, effective leader in a cohesion culture, it means you will accept the, the values of another culture and try to understand it. So you'll learn what that means. So what is that tradition? What is that ritual? What is that norm? What is that standard? What is that imagery? How did it get created? What what was the background behind it? Mm-hmm. So a couple of examples of, of the differences between that. And I, I want to share those, but I want to make sure that your listeners also understand that I'm not sharing my personal experiences with the people will say, oh, isn't he a wonderful person? Okay, I am a wonderful person, but I wasn't trying to get them to say that. Okay. So, but, uh, well, yeah, so, but also, just, slow, just before you go into stories, now hold that point, put a pin in that, so okay. don't forget them, okay? Okay. It's interesting that one of your pillars is also about having people around you, surrounding yourself with people who are will give you good data information and, and that kind of thing. And I find that one of the things that is very difficult for people is to network and expand their voices. When oftentimes when people say that, even when I say it, I had to catch myself, they think of I've got people inside my company, inside my current circle that will give me the data, the information, the stories, the perspective that is going to help me grow. Now, tie that to the stories that you're about to say, because I think that I think you're going to go down that road. But I think it's one of the lessons, the muscles that we all have to have, regardless of where you come from, is that you've got to check your circle of influence. Who's whispering in your ear? not from just at work, but in your life. Yeah. And you do need a variety of people around you. So you need to make sure that it's not just the comfortable people that you might associate with on having dinner at the club or having dinner at a restaurant or having dinner somewhere. But definitely you want to make sure that you've got individuals with a variety of 
influences and a variety of perspectives. Okay. Because if your perception is off, then your reality is off. And mm-hmm. if your reality is off, then the things that you say and do may never align in the way that you need them to align. So you okay. really should be looking Got at it. that, all of that. Okay. So now tell me those two stories that's going to make me okay. feel like you're a good guy. Okay. So a couple, a couple of examples is as I was teaching at De La Salle University in Manila and I did a little leadership program. And so the Asian students were ready to advance to the next level of their education. And so I asked the question, much like I do when I'm traveling in Canada, Europe, and the US, and I said to them, please raise your hand if you think you're a leader. Okay, that silence that we just had, that's Mm -hmm. exactly what happened. Mm. There was no raising of hands, nothing. So I had this moment where I could have applied my Western thinking and would have said, you should be a leader. You should raise your hand. You should. I could have had all of that, but by the good graces, in my, in, from my perspective, by the good graces <laughs> of the Lord Almighty, I got a whole new little thought that came into my head. And I said, I should explore why they didn't raise their hand as opposed to telling them why they should have raised it. Be curious. So, so I asked, yes, be curious, be teachable, right? So I said to them, can someone or would some of you please share why you chose not to raise your hand? And over a period of time, people became comfortable to share that the reason they didn't raise their hand is because in their culture, to accept the title of leader meant that they had already completed the coursework. They had already been validated. They had achieved or did something that allowed them to have that title. Mm. Now, what we uncovered through the course is, were they still exhibiting leadership behaviors? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They just didn't call themselves a leader until after they would have completed the coursework to have said, I've earned that designation. I've earned that title. You know, it's very, funny very because different. the way, the, what I got from that or the bubble that popped in my head at that time is, isn't that the same thing in our our Western culture of, if I don't have the title leader, then I am not a leader. It, sometimes it happens and that's why in the programs, but I will tell you that uh, really a lot of the leadership development programs that I do or I put together, uh, individuals are welcome. Uh, they will raise their hand because they don't want to be excluded from being a leader. Mm. And they understand that even though they could be a work in progress, they're willing to accept the title. Okay. And sometimes that's important because when I work and I call and I uh, mentor with young individuals, emerging leaders, I remind them that they should always be acting like the career they want not the mm-hmm. job they have. Mm-hmm. So you claim being a, te- uh, being a leader. Part of that is in my teachings, it says, you're going to like this one too. It says, the truth is in the I am, not the someday I will be. Mm-hmm. And the opportunity is, is that I have to focus today on I am. I create today I am. So I now know the future of where I'm going. So you want to talk about painting done? Speak in the I am. Mm-hmm. I am a leader. I am a whatever, whatever, however you want to follow it. I am a musician. I'm an artist. I'm a, whatever it is that you want to be claim that even though you might still be a work in progress. And the reason that that's powerful is because our words speak our environment. Mm -hmm. Everything around us is created by the spoken word. So although we might physically see things, how we relate to them is by the language that we use. So we see a cup, we see a fan, we see a laptop, we see another person. There's words. Those items exist because we give them a title. We give them a name. We give them something. So that just translates even further into it. And it really pushes people into the fact that they don't have to be perfect because the pursuit is in performance, not perfection. If we're after perfection, 
then we're going to lose every single time. But if we're into performance, then it says that we are going to be able to give our very best in, in what we do. We're going to have that mindset that says, I'm going to focus on, on being the best. I'm going to, to try to do it, even though I may fall short. But my goal is not to fall short. My goal is to put it out there. And one of the lessons that my mom taught me very early in life is she she said that my call, that my character would be defined by my choices, not my circumstance. Mm-hmm. And that every choice I make should be toward, should be based on who do I want to be today? Because I cannot fix who I was yesterday, mm-hmm. but I can influence who I am today and who I will be tomorrow. And if you string enough of that along, then you may end up having a very favorable life. But if mm-hmm. not, guess what? You've got the power to change because you know that you can change it today or the way it will happen tomorrow or the way you'll be viewed tomorrow. So that was just one of the stories that I shared, but I want to give you an opportunity to ask some questions before I uh, provide you with something else. I, I think it's this idea of some of what you say, I think is said a lot around and people, you know, kind of run with it and then go, you know, and feel good about it. So it makes them feel good. And the the thing is, is that a lot of, of people say, people who are in leadership teaching mode or guide or whatever, say, you speak into the power of today. I am, I am a leader. I am an artist. I am a musician, et cetera. And I think that sometimes that gets mis- misunderstood because there's a difference between saying I am that And I think you tried to tip into it a little bit later in terms of my ability to perform. It is also the same issue that I find leaders have when it comes to diagnosing performance in general. So I like the person, they are in the role, but their performance is not up to the standard necessary for the business to grow out of it. And so this idea of, yeah, you, you are what you are, you are getting better, you're a work in progress, et cetera, is one thing, which is the mindset. So if I don't believe that I have the mindset or that I have the role or that I am this way, live my values, then you're never going to get there. Exactly. And I think we judge ourselves and others judge us by our behavior. So my intention is, as I am but I get judged on or evaluated on my performance. And I think that that rub is what causes us, not just leaders, but as human beings, that rub is what keeps us from really stepping into our power. Right. And the thing about it too, when I talk to individuals and encourage them to to declare that they are, I I am, Mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting that you take out a, a radio ad, you're not putting up a billboard, you know, you're not shouting it from the mountaintop in the way in which you want people to to now, you know, see you as less than humble, right? Because you have to balance this uh, perspective with a number of attributes and favorable characters as a, you know, what characteristics that you need as a leader to, to really convey. Um, I think also one of the things you talked about is in performance, we're probably harder on ourselves than anybody else is, especially if we're effective and and thinking in in that way. Mm-hmm. But there are other individuals that need a strong dose of reality. And it is okay for them to declare that they are, but if when their performance is not, it's up to the leader to help them be able to figure that out and yeah. to help them do what I call a series of self-discovery. And it's more important for the leader when they're working with another individual is to uh, provide for them the opportunity to teach and train, not to preach, not to tell them 
mm-hmm. but to allow them to experience an opportunity of self-discovery. And so mm-hmm. part of, again, some of the teachings and the works that I do is creating a, a cohesion communication worksheet that allows individuals to look at communication and to look at coaching and to figure out how can I bring forth this great energy and this great um, potential for an individual who maybe hasn't tapped into it. And you do it through a conversation that allows for self-discovery. Mm-hmm. And that truly will make a huge difference. I also believe that you should never provide false kindness to individuals, but you don't need to run them over, right? You don't mm-hmm. need to you don't need you don't need to to kind of be so abrasive with individuals. So right, right. When you say that you have to that you want to provide truth that to individuals, that's great, but you should balance that with compassion and grace. Mm-hmm. So I talk about seven attributes of an effective leader. And so in this I am moment, this leader should say, I am teachable. I am Mm -hmm. compassionate. I extend grace. I seek the truth. I am humble. I have pure intentions and I'm a peacemaker. Mm -hmm. And when you embody those attributes and those characteristics, and they all have a way to balance each other when you're integrating them into what you're doing, then you, the leader, are now better prepared to do the things that you have said that I am going to do. Uh, I also remind leaders this, that you cannot be a victor of your future if you're held captive by your past. Mm-hmm. And so you have to move that mindset to a place that doesn't get you stuck in what you've done before. There are leaders that like to refer back to what they did five or 10 or 15 years oh, ago, yeah. and they receive the Academy Award or they receive whatever designation, but you need to earn that every single day. Yeah. You, earn, you earn respect every day. You give respect. You earn trust, you give trust. I mean, all of that is something that you have to consider like the hours of a day, that it should be replenished each day and it will be extended until the end of the day. And then tomorrow you start over again. You Mm -hmm. don't have a big bank of this that you're going to be able to pull Mm -hmm. from. You -hmm. should be working with, you know, you should be working with an allotment that you're going to provide for, for that day. And if you can do that, you can focus on it. You won't be trapped by the things that have happened. So not only do leaders sometimes refer back to the past and their successes, but they refer back to their failures Mm -hmm. and that keeps them from going forward. Mm -hmm. Um, At one time, believe it or not, I was told that I could not write. Meanwhile, today, I'm now sitting here with a PhD and two best-selling books. Mm-hmm. But my mom actually said this that was very helpful to me. She said, mm-hmm. it's not the successes or failures that's going to shape your life. It's how you handle them. Yeah. And will you learn from them? And yeah. will you yeah. be able to, to uh, grow and mature and, and advance from it? And, and I never chose to do this to spite someone else. Mm-hmm. I never chose to do it to prove somebody else wrong. Mm-hmm. I chose to do it to prove myself right. Mm-hmm. And that is a very powerful perspective in the way that you approach life and the way that um, you can make things happen. You know, it's interesting because we've kind of gone around the, the what what is a leader and the leader mindset and what does it take to be a leader? And, and from a what I like about this is, is it's from a I am these things. I may not be good at it, but I at least know that these are my values. This is how I'm going to show up. Um, about it, because I think, you know, I, I often tell people, and you've heard it on the podcast before, I will say your intentions are invisible, but I judge you by your behavior, the impact of your behavior. And so I might think you're a nice person, but I may not trust you as a leader. And and so we have to understand the dynamic dance between those things of my intention is to be a, a, a person who is a steward of the people and the work that is entrusted to me. And then the impact of what that looks like 
And the way you talk about it or the way this conversation has gone, Dr. Troy, it, it sounds like there's so much work involved in, in being uh, a good leader and creating a cohesive culture. It's, we didn't go to school for this. That's one of the you know, issues with leaders now. You become a leader because you were a great expert in something and you got things done from your expertise. And now you're suddenly in this role where you're not the expert. You are shepherding experts to be their best, to be their best self and to build capacity in the organization to produce a product that is sold. So as I'm sitting here listening, I'm feeling like, oh my God, for I've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> How am I going to do this work and run a business at the same time? When I've got all these issues like, you know, turnovers through the roof because of the great resignation, my supply chain is going, you know, crazy. My raw materials costs are going up. My customers are, are mean and coming in the store and my, my, the people who are service, my customer service people are, are battered and, and, you know, they're tired and whatnot. How do I take all of this on? Well, there's no easy answer to, you know, to solving um, the dysfunctions that happen with people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we can rationalize what's happening with the supply chain and with resources. And there's really only two primary dysfunctions that any organization ever experiences. One of them is task. It might have to do with supplies or things of that nature. And those are those can be easily resolved. You simply have to look for new resources. You look for those things. The largest dysfunction that takes most of the time of running a business is the dysfunction of people. Mm. And so what I suggest is that you bone up on your people skills and you bone up on your ability to get people to do things with you. And you don't get, you don't get people to do things for you. You get people to do things with you. Mm -hmm. Very different. And so as a, so if your mindset is working in that way, and if you also are teachable, you also understand you're not the smartest egg in the room. If you've only hired people who are below what you believe your intellect or your, um, you know, your, your leadership abilities are, then you've really done a disservice to yourself and you're going to have a lot of problems running your company because you haven't allowed yourself to really uh, nurture the whole process because you've surrounded yourself with resources. I mean, successful, effective leaders. And by the way, I want to distinguish the difference between I never ask a person to be a good leader. Mm-hmm. I ask them to be an effective leader. Okay. Because you see, when I apply the term good, the superlative of good, I kind of then make you feel like there's a perfection that you need to be. Mm-hmm. If you're effective, it means that you're performing. So mm-hmm. you can sometimes not be the very best, but you're performing, but you're working on it. It's right, called right. self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And so part of this is really helping the leader understand through all of this mm-hmm. that, yes, there's going to be solutions. Yes, we're going to be innovative. We're going to be creative. But if you've got surrounded yourself by people who can lift up the organization and lift everyone up, mm-hmm. then you're going to find that the solutions to these problems are going to be easier. But if you've not done that, then you're going to be sitting there, oh, woe is me, with your <clears throat> with your hands over your head or your eyes or your shoulders shrugged downward and sloping and slumping and all that other. But if if not, then you can rely on the on the expertise of the team to help you get through and solve those particular problems. But in all of that, it's really all about the treatment of people. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you've heard this before. Mm-hmm. This will come not as something new, but people always remember how you treated them yeah. long after whatever you said. Yeah. And so uh, let's, you know, so 
so when you think about that from the leader perspective, um, you want to embody, you want to infuse those types of of really positive things. And I, I ask leaders to do this. I say, here's the deal. You, the, the real, um, I guess, regulator, the question that you want to ask yourself is, will my choice or decision today harm someone else or myself? Yeah. And if the choice or decision I'm going to make is going to harm myself or someone else, then I should reconsider doing it. I need to really determine what are going to be the unintended consequences mm-hmm. from that choice or decision. Mm-hmm. And I believe those are the things that will guide the leader to be able to solve problems that they had never once thought that they could solve. The mm-hmm. other thing, too, is if the leader believes that they can't solve the problem, they've already put themselves into a 51% possibility that they're not going to solve the problem. Right. So they have to really, it's really approaching it. Mindset is so is so important in the academic world. We call it efficacy, which mm-hmm. is the belief system that we have. So our belief system can really compensate for the things that we don't know or the, the talents that we don't have because we believe it. Or we unlock right. in our mind things that we don't even think are possible because we believe that it can happen. Mm-hmm. If you think back to the 1980s, to the hockey team, the U.S. hockey team that won the gold medal over the Russians, technically they were outmanned, outplayed, outgunned, but they weren't outbelieved. Mm-hmm. And the, the U.S. team believed that they could win. And so they rallied around that belief system that really triggers so many great euphoric things that happens within individuals. And they were able to overcome their deficiencies in these areas because they believed. And what happened is the the Russian team stopped believing that they were dominant in that when they started to see success from the other team. And they allowed that belief system to totally wreck what may have been a very different outcome. Right. A positive spin versus the negative spin in it. I, I just have one last one one other question, Dr. Troy, out of this. It is interesting that we talk about the leader. What's the connection between that and a cohesive culture? So in all of this, the strategic framework around the cohesion culture is belonging, value, and shared mutual commitment. Mm-hmm. The leader's responsibility is to ensure that in the area of belonging, that individuals feel like this is a special place where they can be. Mm-hmm. Whatever the policies and procedures are put in place, it, it's not HR that actually creates the culture. HR is the keeper of the culture. They put together strategies and practices that allow the organization to, to now embody the culture. Mm-hmm. They are the ones that help guide the conversations of core values and, and uh, guiding principles, and they provide training and support. But it's the leadership that actually creates the opportunity for individuals to feel like they belong because they're the ones that's actually in the field. They're the ones doing the work. And then in value, it's up to the leader to ensure that people have meaningful work and purposeful work. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole nother section that we could be having in a conversation to unpack it, which we don't have time for. But in value inside a cohesion culture, in addition to respect and trust, it's do I have purposeful work? Is it meaningful what I'm doing? And do I know how it connects to others in the organization so that when I do something, I know how it impacts somebody else? And if I don't do something, how did I create an impact to someone else? That's Mm -hmm. the value. Mm -hmm. And then the last is the shared mutual commitment. And individuals in organizations have to have a transformative mindset. They have to, first of all, believe that what they're doing is for someone else first and then self. Mm -hmm. So in a shared mutual commitment, it isn't that, oh, I just want to tell you what my goals and what you need to be working on. But how do you now create a conversation that is very powerful for that individual to say that there's a shared mutual commitment? 
And when organizations get it right, leaders will first invest in their employees and then provide the employees what they need back. And so it really communicates that I am concerned about you and then we'll focus on what what we need as an organization. And it's so important to do that because if we don't provide what that future is, that first shared mutual commitment for that new employee that comes in should be about where their future is. You started off in the beginning of this podcast talking about future, and that may be exactly where we end this up. But if your shared first shared mutual commitment is not the investment of the employee and where they can go and how valuable they'll be in the organization, you are missing a tremendous opportunity to unleash that employee into the organization in a way. Some leaders hold back because they think that if I tell them the future, they're going to want to take them over to be the CEO. I look at it and go, what's wrong with that? Let's Mm -hmm. get them into that mindset. Let's let them do that because it's so much more helpful to the organization. And there's a strong reason why the data supports this conversation. 63% of all of your employees in your organization are seeking growth, development, and advancement. If Mm -hmm. you do not offer it to them, they will be forced to go somewhere else to find it. They may be satisfied during a small period of time. But if you really want to build organizational intelligence with an individual that is committed and energetic to the organization, then you have to start with them first. And when you put that cohesive culture together, cohesion is a causal phenomenon. It's not correlational. It means that when you have cohesion, you get performance. Mm -hmm. When you have performance, you get a level of engagement that you're looking for. You no longer have to guess at it. So I really help guide leaders into creating, sustaining, and thriving in this culture where they take the strategic framework of belonging value and shared mutual commitment, lay it over top of their organization. Now they have a framework to build a plan and to build actions and activities from, and not just saying, yes, I need to do something, but I have no idea what I need to do. Wow. Wow. That was, that, that was well said. And on that, unfortunately, we have to go because I think, and, and before we go, just the last comment of there's so much dis- discussion about the great resignation and people leaving. And I think yes. it is it is deliberate to what companies have decided is, is that they're not going to have mutual respect, belonging, and, and a career path that you talk about, a way in which I can feel like I am contributing and that, that helps me feel like I'm going to win. It, it feels like, I feel when I talk to people who have chosen to leave or are looking to leave, it feels like they feel like they've been, it sounds like, excuse me, it sounds like they've been abandoned by the company. Exactly. Uh, You know, still, according to the research, the number one reason that people leave an organization and typically the answer would have been supervisor. Today, the number one reason that people leave an organization is lack of inclusion. And I attribute that to the supervisor. So I still think the number one reason that people leave is supervisor. Now we've further defined it. We've drilled down further to say it's because they didn't feel included. They did not feel like they were a part of something. They were treated as an outlier group and they weren't part of the in group. They somehow didn't get that sense that, hey, I can be here. I can survive here. I can contribute. I can be a part of it. You know, that sense of belonging is where we start with the cohesion culture, because first of all, as human beings, we want to belong. We want to be a part of something. So this is a great place to start. And, you know, so I I really have appreciated the conversation today. Thank you for allowing me to bring things in the book to life, to be able to provide some practical application. I am just so grateful to you for helping to extend this conversation. 
Got it. And so um, for all the listeners, if you're interested in the book, it's called Cohesion Culture, Proven Principles to Retain Your Top Talent. I'm sure it's on Amazon and at Barnes and Noble or any it, other it place that you on, can buy. <laughs> it, it is, it's on Kindle and it's Audible. So if you can, if you can really just take the time to listen to me for a couple of hours, then the Audible version <laughs> could be good for you too. But if somebody wants to talk to you and just dig a little deeper on this, how did it catch up with you? Well, it's really simple and easy because uh, it's Dr. Troy Hall. So it's it's eight letters. So if you find me in LinkedIn, it's it's Dr. Troy Hall. On the website, you have to add three more dot com. So it's drtroyhall.com. And if you want to schedule an, uh, a time with me, you just go to the website and you go to the top right where it says the word schedule, and you can connect and schedule with me. And uh, I'd be happy to to chat with folks. All right then. Well, guys. You know what? I appreciate you so much for listening and hanging in there for this fabulous conversation around leadership, the leadership mindset, and how you put that into real action to create a cohesive culture where people want to feel like they belong, want to feel like they contribute, want to feel like and know that they can win. So with that, you know what I'm going to say. If you like it, share it. If you don't like it, share it. Because I promise you, you will get a conversation that will change your mind, change your results, and bring brightness into your life. So with that, see ya. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper. And you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend, Ivan G. Hall, for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.